I were to say that you and I are not the sharpest tools in the box when it comes to technology. Speak for yourself now. <laughs> I think I can put us... Okay, I think you're probably... A little bit sharper than me. I am absolutely useless at technology. But your excitement when you just called me on FaceTime was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, I'm going to join in and say that I'm really not particularly good at at technology. That is, uh, (laughs) I don't know what happened. (laughs) How we produce a podcast every week. I, I think it's a miracle that between us, we actually managed to put out a podcast each week because we have never, normally, we have a computer, we have our phones, we have all sorts of things going on. And for the first time, we've discovered FaceTime that's been around for quite a while. <laughs> but then <laughs> but then you called me <laughs> and you were saying, yeah. I can't see you. You're like, I can't see, where are you? And I was thinking, what if I press? Now I was pressing buttons and I didn't know what was going on. Then you reminded me that you gave me a little sticker <laughs> to put over my camera. <laughs> and you know, we only would have fi- we only figured that out because I remembered that I gave you the sticker a few weeks ago when we were in Cincinnati. I still don't know, why did you give me a little sticker? Because I've gone through years of my life and there've been many years without a little sticker on my camera. And then I think one day I saw you with it on and you gave me a little sticker, but I'm still not quite sure why I have it. Yeah, well, I think it's just the thing to do now. Again, I'm not really up to speed with <laughs> with technology, um, but people seem to have stickers on their cameras just to stop some sort of intrusion. People can take control of your camera and they can intrude on your life. I don't want intruders. <laughs> what are you planning on doing in front of your laptop camera? <laughs> That, that you don't want people like I use my laptop to type and to talk to you now and then I shut it and that, that is it when it comes that there is nothing else that goes on around on in my laptop what do you do with yours <laughs> I do not like the implications this is very early in the pod for this okay <laughs> just saying we can rein it in a little bit uh, no, but if it turns the camera on it can record what you're saying as well so it could hear sensitive information i don't know i don't normally talk to my computer either with <laughs> these two things well you are right now so someone's going to record our podcast and publish it which is kind of <laughs> which is kind of the point right i think both of us are missing the point but uh, all i'm saying is that people more tech savvy than i put stickers on their <laughs> on their cameras of of the laptop so I felt like I wanted you to be safe I was looking after you you should be appreciative <laughs> okay uh, anyone listening that does this can you just let me know that this also happens because it felt weird but and, and you gave me a gold star <laughs> yes I went with the gold star because I thought that was very appropriate but also I am the sort of person I've been known it's been commented on multiple times that whenever there's anything new that is pretty good kind of whether it's fashionable or just new and useful whether it's kind of uber or facetime or anything i refuse to get on board for a good year or so and or maybe even longer i mean it's been longer with facetime this is my first time ever using it no it's not (laughs) yes that's why you were so excited when you called me (laughs) yes i was like oh it's worked i thought you were happy to see me you just couldn't believe that this technology works yeah but i there are so many things that i refuse to, to get on board with i just kind of think oh it's just a fad it's not really a thing and then two years later I'm the one going around being like oh my god FaceTime I'm gonna go and talk to Ben about FaceTime after this <laughs> be, like, be like we should speak on FaceTime that's what we should do <laughs> and uh, he'll be like yeah you're a good good five years or so late to that so yours being the person doesn't have Facebook 
Well, I, and oh, I'm never yeah. going to have Facebook now because that is that's gone. That's long gone. But I've never had Facebook. I was a little bit like that with the Harry, Harry Potter books. I refused to read them for ages. I refused to read them. I thought, no, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get sucked in. Now I've read them all and I've watched them all. I don't think I was as excited as, as when you just dialed me on FaceTime. But <laughs> certainly enjoyable. Mine's mainly clothes. You know, just like little fashion trends, skinny jeans, for example, or high-waisted jeans. I discovered the high-waisted jean about possibly just over a year ago. When were they in fashion? Well, they've been in fashion a few times, but this recent cycle. Um, and uh, they'd been in fashion for a good good few years, to be honest. And I just suddenly noticed, like, everyone's wearing these high-waisted jeans and they actually look really good. Hang on. You are the person that wears a T-shirt with multiple faces of the celebrity chef Ainsley Harriet. That is not someone who's forward thinking with fashion. That is entirely different because that is too forward thinking for anyone to keep up with. Possibly. <laughs> That's how it is. Tennis is is sort of part of our title. So we should probably talk a little bit about that. But you haven't actually seen a lot of tennis today. <laughs> well, no, today it's been a rough day. <laughs> oh, you've caught me at a, at a tough time. Um, as far as uh, commentary goes, yeah, we had a tough one. I'm working on Chengdu. And it was just a lot of rain, but it wasn't even rain. I did not see a drop all day, but there was f- a five-hour rain delay. I didn't see a drop of rain because it was, you know, that super, super fine rain. And it just was, it, all it was was enough to keep the line slick. And, oh, man, I mean, the poor players, Vadasco and Popperin was our first match. Good match. I was quite excited about it. Um, and I, I kind of got up for the match. And then we were setting the scene in the warm-up and... Out they come and we talk about it. And then they sat down after the warm-up. You know what they do. They do, they do the warm-up even though they know the lines aren't quite right. And then they sit down at the side for a long time before they finally went inside. And Carlos Bernardes said, OK, guys, right, off you go inside. That was a couple of hours. So we kind of relaxed. And then we, they came out again. So I had to get up for it again. And I was kind of like, oh, OK, right. This is a good match for Dasko. <laughs> and Popperin is, is doing well. He's on the rise, you know, experience against youth. The second time, the same thing happened. We did the warm up, sat down, spent ages. And then they went in again. So we had another long delay. And then the third time I was thinking, I should not get my hopes up here I can't just keep getting excited about this match it may never begin <laughs> we're about five hours in at this point I was thinking <laughs> it was starting to sound kind of not genuine <laughs> I'm really excited for this match <laughs> as if it was never going to start and then it did start and then because there was so much hanging around it was a bit flat to start off with but it did get good in the end it was it was an interesting who match. won who won I need to know who won now Vadasco won okay. he won in straight sets actually but uh yeah it was it's just just a long old day and then we had another delay and then we had another match and then another delay in the middle of that one and it was just one of those off on off on days and we only got two out of the three matches done I feel like I may have seen more tennis than you today even though I'm not working this week oh (laughs) yes because the twins had their first tennis lesson it's one of these (gasps) most sports (laughs) most sports they do trials so you can test it out see if you like it, then they hit you with how much it's going to cost, especially if you're taking two. So they were indoors, sponge balls, little rackets, both involved. I think at this point, I would say they've got a very good future as a ball boy (laughs) because the coach was getting really annoyed because every time they hit a ball or missed a ball, they'd go and get it and they'd put it in the bucket. And he's like, no, no, leave the balls, leave the balls. 
Get it, run, pick it. I, I was admiring their cleaning skills. Yeah, keeping a tidy court. I like a tidy court. Can't stand a messy court. Don't think you can come on court with me, hit 10 balls in the net and just leave them there. No chance. I was thinking, if we transfer this to home, house is going to be spotless. I wouldn't have to clean ever again. They just kept fetching balls. And you could see the kind of, the coach getting quite stressed because he was like, you don't need to get the balls. We'll get the balls later. Don't need to get the balls. Then we had, um, we had a racket. I call it a racket smash. <laughs> the um, the younger of the two put his racket down. Wait, on a scale of uh, naught to Benoit Pair, where did it land? Well, I'm putting it at Benoit Pair level because it wow. wasn't in anger. The racket was on the floor and he leapt up in the air and started jumping up and down on the racket. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Wait, wait. Be- it wasn't because of anger or was it excitement no it, it was it was excitement it was del- it couldn't they had this court there was three of them in this little oh, group oh I couldn't name a player who does that they were so they were so excited that he, he was basically he was using the racket as a trampoline <laughs> except it wasn't and I'm trying not to laugh because I kept getting those side eyes from the coach as if to say you're not helping but it was it was really funny he was like jumping up and down on the racket and I was I was kind of waving my do finger you know what he could have been trying to do was loosen up his strings because that's what you do you stand you stand and jump on the strings if they're too tight and you feel like you've got too much control and you need a bit more power on the shot you jump on the strings I think I think prodigy once again he he already knows more about strings than most do. if he'd looked up at the coach and said coach i was just loosening the strings oh can you imagine <laughs> i would have fallen over <laughs> I mean, the, the coach, but i think the, the great thing we've got to remember they are four and they're quite young four so in this class it's an hour and they've already i mean he's teaching them, it's their first ever tennis lesson and he's teaching them forehands backhands and volleys i'm thinking Okay. Oh, okay. And then at the end, I sort of went over and I just, and I tried not to laugh through half of this lesson where they weren't listening and they were just running around in circles. And at the end, I was like, you know, uh, was it okay? Was it, you know, how was it for you? And he said, the thing is, they just don't listen. Ah. <laughs> I'm like, for, I mean, am I being, unre- I mean, they're four. As a coach, I don't know if you've coached this this age, but what, what are your expectations of a couple of four-year-olds? Well, I've always kind of thought as a coach, if they're not listening, then what you're saying needs to be more interesting. Exactly. That's kind of the tactic I've taken. Exactly. He wasn't, I would say, the most engaging person to be dealing with four-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, if, if the kids aren't listening to me then I just either totally change the topic. And also, if you've coached for a while, you've got a couple of banker stories that you can kind of go to and banker games that you know they love and it's all interwoven with a story or whatever it is and then and they just absolutely love it so you know you can go to those um, and if they stop listening to whatever you're saying it's clearly not working they're not buying it and so you just go just go to one of those and um, and get them invested again and yeah I, I mean I know I have a, a, a little bit of a reputation of being quite harsh, but that is the view I take <laughs> on coaches. When, whenever coaches like, they just won't listen. I'm like, well, you're probably pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit. I was like, well, you could maybe take a look at yourself a little bit. But <laughs> therefore, but my early take... I love it. I'm rubbing off on my, you. <laughs> <laughs> my early takeaways are that we seem to have a, a lefty and a righty. So Brian Brothers Mark II world domination in doubles is is a possibility. Um, one that likes to hit the ball, sort of Del Potro style, Thor like, but obviously with no direction or anything, but just literally. 
I think maybe cricket could be his sport. Yeah. Um, and the other one, um, <laughs> every time the coach was bouncing the ball and when it bounced up, they had to hit it. But he didn't like doing that. He just liked hitting it. So every time the coach turned around, he picked up a ball and hit it. And went, I did it. So um, well, he did do it. That's he, great. He did do it. No, so it was... That's it just was, a self-feed shot. That is still a shot. I like that, self-feed shot. So I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm going to use the word prodigy, but you know what? They had fun. And the, the, the main thing, it's taking part and having fun. And it reminded me very, very loosely of the Labour Cup because following you. Oh, come on. Stay with me here. <laughs> stay with me here. <laughs> no. <laughs> stay with me because it's a team sport, right? So you're still with me. There's multiple. Mm-hmm. And they were having fun. And I, I put together, because we didn't really talk about Labour Cup last week. We were quite brief on it, weren't we? We were kind of like, well, it's kind of happening and happening. So I put together my like Labour Cup takeaway. So I'm just going to give you some bullet points. You can discard them. You can you can run with them, right? So what I took away from Labour Cup was Roger Federer swears quite a lot. Yeah, which I think was great. <laughs> Everyone enjoyed that. Rafa Nadal is very excitable. Yes. Which was nice yeah, to see. Agreed. Stefano Sitspas seems to be coming out of his shell on tour. You know, if, you, if you'd told me beginning of the year that he and Zverev are going to be sort of cuddling on the floor of the court, I might not have believed you, but that seemed to be happening because he's having fun. Bjorn Borg speaks during the Labour Cup because I saw that. Yeah, once. not a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> and, um, I mean, the amount of money he earned per word was uh, he was doing far better than John McEnroe. Well, was sensational. Jack Sock wins singles matches, but only in Labour Cup. Yep. And everyone has a lot of fun. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a fascinating week. It was up ups and downs and there was a lot going on it's always difficult to kind of wrap your head around a new format we've got a few new formats we've got davis cup coming up an atp cup next year as well and then new fed cup next year and um so you kind of have to see how it goes i mean this is the third year of labor cup i think yeah third victory for europe in a row um and yeah there was loads about it that i actually really enjoyed and i think the interactions between the players particularly nadal and federer because much like the rest of their teammates, we're all desperate for a glimpse and an insight into their knowledge. Turns out there's a big gap between them and the rest of the field in, <laughs> in terms of knowledge of tennis. And I found this last year when I was watching it, just a couple of, I mean, for the most part, they're, of course, taking the lead roles because they're Rafa and Roger. I mean, Rafa's not going to look at Stefanos and say, what do you think, buddy? It's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to be telling them what to do. And that's that's totally fine. But there are just occasional glimpses, a couple of things that are said and you think, OK, right, they they really get it. Most of it's actually not on the bench, um, on the court. But when they're behind, they're kind of muttering to each other because they kind of operate on the same level. Um, and then what they were saying on the court was a lot more simple a lot more basic. It was almost like, I'm talking to Stefanos here. I'm going to keep it simple. <laughs> or with Fabio, <laughs> no more negativity, only positivity. It's like talking to a child, isn't it? so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, my favourite bit in terms of the interactions was definitely the Nadal and Sitsipas doubles signals. Brilliant. 
absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so good. <laughs> because Sitsipas was like trying to concentrate so hard as if he was in school and he was learning this lessons and it was right, you need to be more clear with your signals. And he was kind of right, okay, yes, Rafa. Of course, Rafa, anything, Rafa, right. Okay, and he was kind of practicing the signals in front of Rafa's, right, okay, closed fist and and then a, then a point. And, <laughs> and Rafa just just was like, Mate, you don't know what you're doing, okay? <laughs> We're going to dumb this down even further. <laughs> Just <laughs> close fist and a point is anywhere. I mean, it's well worth watching. It is hilarious. And Federer was cracking up um, particularly because <laughs> it's just so funny. I mean, Sitspass is a world-class player. He's going to be competing against him at the O2 at the end of the year. And he was just kind of like this schoolboy, I guess. Getting schooled. <laughs> Roberto Bautista Agu, not sure what he did, just sort of hung around. Did he say anything? Just, just, <laughs> he, just <laughs> he just hung around on the bench. You know what was really nice to see? Sasha's very really enjoying himself because it's been really tough for him, especially these last few months with some stuff off the court, uh, a lot of which has now settled, but hasn't been winning as he was last year. But he looked like genuinely, because normally he comes on that sort of, doesn't really want to smile pose and he's quite kind of moody and quite he was genuinely enjoying himself he was having fun and it was it was I'm not quite sure what what Lever Cup is in terms of where it it sits in everything but it's once you start watching it it's it's a lot of fun because they are I know there are talking you were saying that some of your friends think that a lot of it is staged and it's not as natural as it may seem but for little things like those coaching um timeouts and just the, and you know the interesting thing we've been speaking about Lever Cup for two or three minutes haven't mentioned Nick Kyrgios yeah I know and I, he just wasn't the story of it of it at all I mean all of the um, the gifts, all of the social media stuff that was being pumped out because I couldn't sit and watch it all. I watched some matches. It was pretty much all of the interactions between Nadal, Federer and, and Team Europe. There's just very, very little uh, from Team USA. Oh, sorry, Team World. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Kyrgios yeah. is Australian Kyrgios somehow uh, <laughs> made his way onto Team USA the things he will do uh, no uh, apologies about that uh, of course Team World but um, and it is very Team World it isn't just Team USA so that was very unfair of me to do that that was just a, a slip of the tongue um, yeah no I agree I, I, he wasn't he kind of wasn't a superstar look don't get me wrong Team World needed him because they need players at the level who can beat the big guys. That's that's the point. <laughs> You're playing a team with Nadal and Federer in it, and you don't have Djokovic. Like <laughs> it's a very difficult situation to start from. So yeah, I mean, then who's got the best record against the top guys? Other than the top guys, it's got to be Nick Kyrgios, isn't it? So they absolutely needed him as a player, but as an entertainer, which is how he sells himself most of the time. And in terms of for the tournament, I don't think it would have been hugely worse off without him, only for the level of tennis that he brings. That was that would be the only thing that you would miss. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But I always say yes to you, even if it doesn't. <laughs> and I think, uh, <laughs> and Jack, so a lot of people saying, What's Jack Sock doing on the team? But he's another, he's like Kyrgios. He loves a team sport. He loves being part of a team. We saw how he thrived on a doubles court when you're a team. He's one of those guys that really likes that environment. And he's still got a way to go in terms of getting himself back to where he was, if he ever does get himself back to that. But he, he, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. 
Yeah, he likes playing in a team. He's always liked playing in a team, and yet he chose tennis as his career. So you've got to question the logic, really, haven't you? Well, what if you're only good at tennis? You can't say he chose tennis. If, if oh, he wants to play no. play American football, but he's not very good at it, that's a bit harsh. That's a bit harsh on Jack Sock. What if he wasn't good at anything else? Tennis is quite a highly skilled sport. There are any number of other kind of ball sports that uh, that I think they could have achieved to a, d- a decent level. So what else could you have done if not tennis with a ball? Oh, with a ball? I don't know. I don't know if I was that skilled, really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, I think for the women, there are, there are far fewer options. You can't really, you couldn't, well, especially about 15 years ago, you can nowadays, but you couldn't really have a, a career and earn money from a lot of sports. So I, for me, it was always going to be tennis. Also, I hate teams. Like, sorry, but I... <laughs> Like I really do. There is a reason I play an individual sport. <laughs> I really hate it. I love that. <laughs> Have I not talked to you about this? Would you say we are a team? We are just two individuals. I chatting? don't think. No, I don't mind two people. I think when it's you know kind of five, six, seven people, it's it's difficult because I just don't like. Look, I, I've always said this actually from a young age. Girls, particularly in Britain, um, I don't know what it's like around the rest of the world, are girls are heavily encouraged into team sports the biggest sports are netball and hockey it, it's all about playing teams and a lot of girls like team sports just like a lot of boys do that's absolutely fine so you but you are really encouraged tennis isn't really that relevant in schools it's not there that much uh, neither is golf which are pretty much the two biggest sports for women in in the world so you're just not encouraged in that direction so for me on the girls side of things to have said no to all of that heavy encouragement into those teams and to end up on an individual sport you're a sort of individual sort of person really I think that's kind of how it goes for the guys I think less so I mean they just have a a lot more options when it comes to sport and a career in sport I mean most kids are kind of just really sporty kids and they play all sports and uh, I'm sure Jack Sock I mean he is immensely talented I'm sure he could have been good at many different sports so um but he chose tennis probably because he he loves it and i'm i was just being i was just being a little mean and poking fun you know that does actually remind me though when i was brushing my teeth last night i thought of this i don't know why i thought of this when i was brushing my teeth last night but last week on the podcast when you were talking about um the big thing for you, you didn't like the life, the traveling and the being on tour and everything like that. And then I was wondering, as I was brushing my teeth, was there, and this might link into you not really liking the team aspect, but was there no one you could talk to? So did you feel that if you spoke to your parents, they'd be like, oh, you're really ungrateful because you've got this amazing opportunity. Or if you spoke to other girls on tour or coaches, they'd be like, this is crazy. This is an amazing life. Or I don't know why that came to me. When I was brushing my teeth last night. But was you was you were unhappy, so unhappy with it. Was there anyone you could turn to, or did you not feel like you could? I didn't feel like I could, and I didn't particularly want to either. I was so scared of being weak. I, I saw it as a weakness. I, I I just saw it as not being tough enough. And I think that, that most people back then would have seen it in a similar way. And actually, that is kind of the response I got was just you're not cut out for it. And I never really understood that because I knew how hard I competed and how hard I worked. Like I would have done anything. There was there was no I didn't have those sorts of limits. So um, yeah, I suppose yeah there, there wasn't really anybody that I could talk to that I felt like understood because I didn't 
really have that much of a connection with anyone. So, you, you know, you, you kind of, to be able to have that sort of conversation with one, you know, somebody's got to, look, not entirely understand you. That's, you know, quite ambitious and comes with a lot of time, but at least have some sort of understanding as to where you're coming from, who you are and um, and that sort of thing. And, and that was what I suppose I was quite lacking. And yeah, in terms of the other players, uh, I did get quite often, you know, look what's wrong there are worse lives I did try to talk about it to to a number of people because you travel and you share rooms and it's very hard to mask that sort of thing um that was quite common and and that was that player's view on it and you and I could understand that that's absolutely fine I'm like yeah you know makes total sense if that's how you feel about it and that's fine but it just wasn't how um I suppose how I, it just wasn't helpful, was it? You know, when you when you're like that, it's I suppose it just wasn't wasn't difficult. And actually, what I didn't know at the time was that I was ill, so I didn't know that I actually had an illness that was uh, affecting me so much in this way. I just thought I was kind of pretty bummed out and a bit whiny, to be honest. And I'm sure that's how other people saw it as well. So I just didn't really want to fall into that being weak trap. But no, I. <laughs> No, I didn't. I mean, I did speak to some people about it. Like, don't get me wrong. I wasn't silent from the very beginning. I I was not enjoying it. I think. Did I tell you the story about my first professional tournaments? Uh, I don't think so. Out in India. I was talking about this um, actually this week because we, I was talking about what, what we were chatting about on the pod. And <laughs> so I um, uh, at 16, I did my GCSEs and then I went full time at, at Queen's, at the, which was the NTC back then, National Tennis Centre. And then, you know, I got a phone call saying, hey, come be a professional tennis player. And I was like, ah, oh, OK, great, let's go. What was your reaction? Just, uh, just on that, you get that call and many people would dream of having that call. What was your immediate reaction when that call came through saying, come and do this? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely. I, I didn't really expect to be in that position. Really, don't get me wrong. At 14, I was nowhere in, in, in terms of being a professional tennis player. And when I say nowhere, I was a good player. I was a county standard player. But county standard players at 14 do not become professional tennis players. That's just how it works. Just all of the time I couldn't give you another example so yeah no I was just excited and the thing was is that everybody was just excited um oh, I'm gonna get emotional again I got emotional last week <laughs> about it oh <laughs> this is terrible um but everybody was so excited so like my parents were so excited you know I didn't want to complain about it like everything I was getting I you know I had a, a coach that I could travel with I was doing well it just felt really wrong to complain but anyway so I went to 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 the National Tennis Centre and and trained and it was amazing we did this long training block and the first trip I did was a five-week trip so that's a harsh break in and this is where the communication I suppose broke down because most players who start at the National Tennis Centre at 16 years old have been traveling since they were 11 they've been to Orange Bowl they've been to international tournaments not loads they might have been to eight tournaments in the year, but they've been on trips. They've been away for a few weeks at a time. They've been doing it from a young age. Um, I just had not. I, I wasn't good enough to. I, I hadn't. I think I'd been to one tournament in Estonia on half term with my mum. And we just kind of were looking at looking at culture stuff. I did quite well, actually. <laughs> but we were just enjoying Tallinn. And, uh, and that was it. So this was my first trip. So five weeks. That's a tough kind of break into this is professional tennis that's a long time and it was two weeks in India and three weeks in Indonesia 
the three tournaments in Indonesia were junior events, low level junior events. Um, and the first two tournament were 10Ks, which is your first level professional event. So I went to the first tournament in India and I, I qualified and I think I won a round or I lost in the first round. I can't really remember the details. And uh, But I picked up a point or a couple of points. And so that was good. My my first professional tournament, I, th- I think I might have played one before that actually, just back home in Britain. Um, but in terms of taking it seriously as a pro, that was my first time. And it was a good effort. Everybody else had lost before that and not got those points. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'm doing well. Um, and I just, I, I don't know, before the second tournament, I was in qualifying. Before the second tournament, I remember having a conversation with the then head of women's tennis, and I, who was back home in Britain. And I basically said, I don't want to do the three weeks in Indonesia. I want to come home after this week. Um, and we had this whole conversation and I was basically saying, I don't see the point. Like, I don't really want to do five weeks. And if I was going to do five weeks, I'd rather be doing it for professional events rather than low level junior events. I just feel like what I was trying to say was, I feel like if we're going to push me into a very uncomfortable situation, it should be worth it for you know, the benefit should be worth it. I'm happy to work as hard as possible, be uncomfortable, but I've always been about, I don't care whether it's easy or hard, it should be worth it. And I just felt like that wasn't worth it. Three weeks in Indonesia, I didn't want to go. Even though my friends were going, I didn't want to go. Um, and, and the response was something like, okay, right, you think you're Billy Big Boots now that you've picked up a couple of points, do you? And I'm sure it came across in a very arrogant way. I'm, I'm not accusing this person of anything at all. I'm sure, I'm sure I, it sounded like I was saying, oh, I don't want to go to junior tournaments. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. But, what I was, <laughs> but you understand what I was trying to say, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and, uh, and he said, he said, I'll tell you what. And I was like, look, I just, I don't see the point. My coach was going home after the two professional events. It was a different coach staying for the juniors and everything. And I just said, I just want to go back and train. I just, I just, I'm not comfortable. And he said, okay, right. You think you're that good then. And you're too good for juniors. I tell you what, qualify and win the tournament next week. And then you can come home. Wow. And I just said, okay. And then I qualified and won the tournament. <laughs> that is how much I wanted to go home. That is how much and, I wanted to go home. And and, and then you went home after. And that. then I, well, yeah. Then I told him that I'd changed the flights and I was going home. And and that was it. And then I came back and I played a lot of the professional tournaments in Britain, because what was quite good is because I was doing well on the professional level. Um, I could play tournaments in Sunderland and Tipton and I could travel around the country where I was much more comfortable rather than having to travel around the world and be in Indonesia to play against a bunch of juniors. See, I was a bit arrogant, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I still am. <laughs> it does seem bizarre, doesn't it? For your first trip at that age, oh, you're going to have two weeks in India, you're going to have three weeks in Indonesia. I mean, that is, that is a stretch, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I tell you what, but I, I loved India. I've been back so many times. I, I'm a really big fan of it. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't like the culture. It wasn't that I was homesick. Like we've mentioned, I didn't I wasn't particularly close with anyone at home, so there was nothing to go back to. I just knew that I was very, very uncomfortable in that situation. I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I was uncomfortable with the fact that I was a, a professional tennis player. That was really uncomfortable because at 14, three years before, or two years before that, two years before that, it was never gonna happen. Never in a million years. tell you that someone who is not afraid of winning because he actually can't stop <laughs> is Daniel Medvedev because the Labour Cup as you talked about there was so much on social media it was all about the Labour Cup meanwhile 
Naomi Osaka was winning a tournament in Osaka, which is a big thing. And Daniel Medvedev was fifth straight final, 24 wins in 27 matches. He wins St. Petersburg, his home tournament. And then there was, I saw a poll on on Twitter saying, um, when is Daniel Medvedev going to lose? And it was kind of Asian swing, tour finals. Never ever. Australia, never. I went never. (laughs) <laughs> I just went never. I picked the never option and 84% of the votes had gone on never. You know, every day there seems to be he's picked up a new sponsor. Oh, I'm happy to be part of X's family. I'm happy to be part. I bet you are, you know, <laughs> happy to be part of all these different families. You know, he's he's four in the world. He's definitely going to be at the O2 in, in London. He, he cannot... He cannot lose. Yes, of course, everyone will say, well, we lost in the final of the US Open. But boy, he nearly didn't. <laughs> and, and he pushed Nadal about as hard as he could. It's it's absolutely... And he said in one of his speeches, he said, ever since I proposed to my now wife, I've just got better and better. So marriage is a good thing. See, he knows. He knows. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> okay, two things. One, surely he's going to win in the O2 because this is what's happened the past couple of years. The player with the most momentum going into it. Remember Dimitrov doing so well in Cincinnati and had an unbelievable finish to the year. Uh, And Medvedev, because the, the more experienced... Well, the older guys, the top three, they they struggle at the back end of the season now because they're they're a bit older. But the the player, the last two years, we had Zverev last year, Dimitrov the year before, the one with the real momentum and who really enjoys the surface. I mean, it's it's perfect for Medvedev, right? It's it's surely it's made for him. I've gone that he's never going to lose, so of course he's going to win the O2. But oh, then right. I'm thinking okay. we do a predictions competition <laughs> around Shanghai, and I'm thinking, how can I not pick Medvedev to win? I j- I can't. Yes, you can make cases for others, but he is. And he even said when he won St. Petersburg, he showed no emotion. He just calmly walked to the net, shook hands. And he said, I've been trying to control my emotions. This was him winning his first trophy at home. It was St. Petersburg. It was Russia. And so if he's managed to control his emotions to that degree, if he's that steely, he obviously doesn't get tired. We kept saying, oh, he's going to get tired. He's obviously not going to ever get tired. And his wife is travelling with him full-time. I mean, it's, it's, but it's incredible that during the Labour Cup and the, there is such a hype and a buzz and they put so much into social mediaing the Labour Cup that Osaka winning in Osaka, which is pretty cool and something she's wanted to do for a couple of years now, and Medvedev winning in St. Petersburg, barely got a mention. Yeah, I think I've fallen into the trap of saying that Medvedev must be tired probably about 13 times this season. <laughs> Just yeah, think, so surely. <laughs> but you know when you're commentating, you're like, well, you know what? He's going to have a window here because Medvedev, they got to be some heavy legs. And then, nope, not at all. Wins like two and two. Easy as you like. Um, I said I had two things and I said one. I now have two more yep. things. Except oh, I've forgotten okay, one now. Right. But I know one of them. <laughs> so how many things have we got? <laughs> we had two things. You said one thing. So you've got two more. You've forgotten one. So have you got two more things? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It was a long day in Chengdu. Okay, just just leave me alone. You didn't do anything. Stop complaining about your long day. I watched rain. It wasn't even raining. Um, yes. Well, you know how I was saying that I was about, was it about two weeks ago? I was saying it's great to have Medvedev to shake up the top guys because I'm a bit bored of them winning everything. Yes. Yes. I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm close to bored. No. I'm close to being bored of Medvedev now already. He's winning oh. everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah. 
of what is going to please you. A different winner each week. <laughs> yes, like the women's. I want different winners. I want a are group. You, are you happy that Andy Murray's back and winning? Well, obviously, yes. I mean, that was good. amazing. Okay. So good. You're not, so you're not bored of his return yet? You're okay? No, but how can you be bored of Andy Murray? Andy Murray can win everything. Well, because you get bored of everything. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Well, obviously, I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, I think it. I think it's great. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say. Oh, okay. See, brain back into gear. That he was saying after St. Petersburg, he was talking about uh, what Igor Gerasimov said about him, who played him in the semifinals. Uh, that he said, oh, Gerasimov says I'm like an octopus. Which I thought, I think this, and I just felt like coming into this week's pod, this needs breaking down. He said, he, he says I'm like an octopus because once I get hold of something, I don't let it go. I, I don't know, something about having eight arms. I'm not quite with it, but I just, I, <laughs> I just, Gerasimov thinks that Medvedev is like an octopus. So should he now be known as the octopus on tour? The, <laughs> because he doesn't let things go. Isn't that like a python? Don't they strangle things when they suffocate things? Yeah, I think it's like when he gets a grip of the match. That would be more a python, wouldn't Cause it? Because he's got he suckers or something. Because he's got suckers. <laughs> what is, I, I, I didn't say it. Don't have a go at me. I can. But did he mention suckers or have you just thrown suckers in? You just threw that No, in. no. It was just the octopus and not letting things go. I, I can see a little bit because he's six foot six and someone that tall should not be able to move as well as he moves. Yeah, but he doesn't move like an octopus. <laughs> but no, but in the sense that sometimes he kind of flails a little bit because you've got to get six foot six of him to one side. Are you saying that he moves like an octopus? I, I'm, I'm saying it's not the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yes, you should say that on air. Oh, he moves like an octopus. But I just did. <laughs> I just didn't mention suckers. You mentioned suckers. I can... It's not the most... If he if someone said he moves like a, a cheetah, that's ridiculous. But I can sort of see the octopus because he, he, can be, he can be quite ungainly, isn't he? He's not a Roger Federer, he's stylistically. And he's six foot six, there's a lot of, there's a lot of limbs doing a lot of things, not always at the same time in the same way. Right. I knew you would clarify that uh, statement from Gerasimov for us. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, I've got to go. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to go because you had to go last week so now I've got to go but I've got to do bath time oh, okay well that is very important bath time can't wait but a couple of things I know you still don't know what we're doing with the mugs but I'm on it and I've contacted a few of the hardcore tennis listeners about mugs I couldn't give them any kind of timings because you still don't know what we're talking about but I wasn't aware we had any anyone hardcore remotely associated with this podcast well when i say hardcore i mean they've listened a few times uh, okay. <laughs> and it, but, but i think one of our hardcore listeners and i sent you didn't i the nat J is a singer yes canadian sent us her latest single that's called sleep that you can get on spotify and it's very good have you yeah. had a listen it's very nice yeah i have yeah. it's very nice and and so nat listens to the pod and so I've talked to her about mugs, but I've got to get you on board. Basically, I've got to tell you about the mug. I've got to retell you about the mug thing. Yeah, that it would be helpful if I could uh, have Can't some sort of awareness as to what's going on. Because currently, listeners who have been contacted, you've got more information about this than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, before I go, because they're going to come steaming up the stairs soon and get very loud, is I survived the mum's night out. Oh, of course. 
Of course. Well, you were talking about your prodigy sons. One golf, one tennis. You must be you must be like the ringleader now. I can you imagine if I did? I didn't say a word. There was <laughs> can I say there was a lot of prosecco being drunk, not by me. I'd stayed on the soft drinks and just Why? Because I just wanted It would have been way more fun <laughs> if you had drunk prosecco. That's a terrible decision. I just wanted to observe. I just wanted to observe. It was kind of a really weird sort of thing when everyone's like, Oh, my name is and I do this and it's, it's quite weird. Where it's, I don't know, maybe years ago, you'd have got the mothers sort of saying, oh, no, no, I don't work. I'm I'm at home. It's weird. All the mothers were sort of trying to one up. They were doing sort of trying to one up each other on who works the most. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's like, it's like, I'm always away. I'm always away. I'm never there. Never done pickup. Never done drop off. And I'm sitting there going, wow. Um, but that was, yeah, it was, it was nice. But I, I, I survived. Um, which is the good news. So I just had to well, tell you. That's good. Will you go again? Um, I, th- I think, well, there's a there's a night, it's called a curry night, which you buy a ticket and it goes, the money goes towards the school, which is a good thing. So I've got that on Friday. Um, a little bit worried about that. Ooh, there's like a social every week. Oh, I hope wow. not. Because one of the mothers said, oh, everyone gets really drunk. I was like, oh, lordy. So that's this Friday. So, um, but I think after that, I might I might pull back. You know, I might just pull back a little a bit like you, a bit more individual sport rather than team sport. I might just pull back for a little bit. Yeah, it's nice, though. Being selfish is a really, a really good quality. <laughs> no one seems to buy that. I, I end up saying that a lot. I'm like, no, no, no. Being selfish is a really good thing. Which is why you're in denial about the mug things, because you're being selfish. Whereas I'm being very generous with the people who listen. You're like, no, don't know anything about mugs. So we've got to talk about this. It's not being selfish. That's lack of communication. <laughs> In our relationship is what it is. But, but remember, we're not a team because if I start saying the word team, you're going to get all weird on me and disappear. So um, I hope it stops raining so you get some tennis in this week. Yeah, that'll be good. But it's fine. I've got to go because I've got to clip up that audio of you talking about Medvedev being an octopus. <laughs> <laughs>